It may have escaped your attention that the annual conference of the Australian Fairy Tale Society is coming up in Brisbane very soon, in fact, in a couple of weeks' time. I am delighted that two of the conference paper presenters are joining us in real life. Joe Henwood is known as the Ring Maiden of the Australian Fairy Tale Society. Cool title, Joe. Uh, she co-founded the society in 2013, and her day job is professional storytelling in schools, museums, and the like. And Eliane Morel is a singer, actor, and writer who has a show in the Sydney Fringe Festival this week called Disenchanted, a Cabaret of Twisted Fairy Tales. Together with Alyssa Curtain, Eliane and Joe will be telling the conference about a web series they've made about the origins of fairy tales. And yes, they are, as they sound, very busy uh, fairy people operating across multiple fairy platforms, which is why we're so thrilled to have them with us. Joe, I believe that this fairy tale society that you co-founded may be the only one of its kind in the world? I think that's true. I mean, certainly if you Google fairy tale society... It's us. We're it. Uh, there are a couple of organisations, one in England, a journal in America. There are people who explore fairy tales, but we're the only ones who have it as its main focus, which is quite odd when we're the ones who aren't European. You know, the fairy tales didn't start here, and yet we're the ones who've grasped it and run with it. I guess maybe in other countries, you know, Ireland has fantastic kind of folkloric and fairy tale traditions. Presumably, maybe there it's just called something else. Maybe it's a folklore society or something. <laughs> it may be. I don't want to get too assertive because whenever you say, whenever you're definite, <laughs> something yes. props up. Why did you establish it? What made you want to create one? I. As a storyteller, I wanted to understand fairy tales deeply enough to be able to retell them personally and with authenticity from where we are, the, the people we are, the place we are, our history, our culture. So I needed to understand it. And the way I understand is, yes, reading and writing, but it's also talking with other people who see things just a little bit differently from me. And I wanted to provide that opportunity for other people to, to come together and have that um, campfire where we spark off each other and have new ways of interpreting and understanding. Now, you're a ring maiden as I mentioned earlier, which is about the coolest title of anyone I've ever met, Joe, I've got to say. But what does that mean? What, what is your job as a ringmaker? All right. So um, with the local uh, groups that get together, if you're a storyteller, you get together in story circles. If you're a fairy tailor, you get together in fairy rings. Um, and so there are local uh, fairy tale rings in most of the capital cities that are, are like a book club for fairy tales, but they need material. So I'm the person who, with consultation, works out the five fairy tales that we're going to explore each year. And then I research it and create an enormous bibliography that nobody ever reads. And then I write down all the things that they could have read in it as sort of what I call points to ponder, and nobody ever reads that. And then we go and meet <laughs> together and we, I tell them all the things that I have already read. And the stories go out. You're not the only person to have ever written a bibliography that everyone's ignored. I, I remember a few of my university lecturers who had done exactly the same thing. But, Joe, um, how do you communicate? Do you do this via Zoom? Do you get together physically? Yes, all of the above. Okay. So, like I said, they've got the local fairy tale rings in Sydney. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm the ringleader of the Sydney fairy tale ring. 
and Eliane is uh, a, a You're also of the of the Sydney I'm also Ring. A of the Fritz Sydney. Yeah. Okay. And that there's also one in Brisbane, in Illawarra, in Adelaide, and Victoria, and they will get together physically. But because we're a national society with mm. a, a handful of Northern Hemisphere members as well, mm. we also have the Zoom meetings. And naturally, you won't be surprised to know that we also have a cool name for those. So we don't have Zooms in the Fairy Tale Society. What do you have? Go and tell me. A magic mirror. Oh, that's brilliant. <laughs> because a magic mirror, you can see across vast distances and through the can. past and the future. Of course you can. And this is how we can. And you can together. put different backgrounds in and you can pretend you're in different places. See, it's very magical, isn't Indeed. it? Um, <laughs> Eliane, tell me, you belong to the Sydney Ring, yes. uh, as we were discussing, but as a writer and performer, you'd already gone down a, a kind of fairy tale path, creating this show Disenchanted. Yeah, yes. Um, now, that was a few years ago. And then you, am I right in thinking, you then discovered that there is a whole world of fairy tailors, I now know the appropriate term, <laughs> um, and you kind of found your people. Yeah, yeah, well, that, that is pretty much it. So, yeah, I had uh, decided to do this this uh, cabaret about disgruntled fairy tale side characters who um, who want to tell their side of the story. Oh, wow. So and the characters who get left behind. The characters who get okay. behind. So I've got Olga, the ugly stepsister, and the Gertie who's the goose that lays the golden eggs, mm. and the wolf himself, and one of the dead wives of Bluebeard, and... And I tried to make a frame for it and in the making of the frame I discovered this woman called Madame Dornois, Marie-Catherine Le Jumel de Barneville, Baroness Dornois. And she's, uh, so she's actually the originator of the literary fairy tale. I mean, right. there, there, was a, there was a bunch of women called Salonnières, so mm -hmm. they were gathering together in salons and they were telling each other folk tales, but really twisting the folk tales around and trying to talk about very important issues for them but uh, in these cloaked forms as fairy tales. And when when is this happening? 17th century, mid-17th century. 1690s. 1696. 1696s is a, is a prime year. <laughs> and, and, and primarily in Paris? Or? Yes. Okay. Yes, primarily in Paris. Until, until they're banished. But that's oh, another story. Gosh, yeah, that's that sounds right. like a fairy so, tale gone wrong. So I had started to, to, so I wrote this, this uh, cabaret and that was the frame story was Madame Dornois. But I didn't really go very deeply into her because I didn't think people were that interested. I know. I, I just, yeah, I, that's heresy, I know. Anyway, but then I discovered the Fairy Tale Society, got in contact and I really didn't know what you were. I didn't know what you did or what you were and... Anyway, we I started coming to the meetings and getting quite deeply into the fairy tales and going, oh, I love these people. They're so creative and so interesting. And it, it is an enormous amount of fun to sit and dissect a fairy tale, uh, ways that it should be told, ways that we want to tell it today, um, the things that we, we like and don't like about it, the the intricacies, the the, the Freudian, the Jungian, Jungian analysis. the uh, And, uh, yeah, so it's like a book group except... I would say more fun. Yeah. <laughs> Are there snacks? Oh, yes, always. Oh, good. Uh, themed, themed snacks. Excellent. Yes, um, yes. Uh, Eliane, I'm just what do we know fairy tales? Is the, is the shared knowledge of fairy tales still so strong that it works in your play, for example, to pull apart? I mean, you're kind of unthreading, aren't you, the idea of or unravelling the idea of these classic fairy yeah, tales. Yeah, But doesn't that, that only really works, doesn't it, if we have a shared knowledge of what the fairy tales are in, their, in yeah, the first that's, place. Yeah, that's true. Is that still strong enough 
Yes. Do you think? Oh, I think so. Mm. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. I mean, the, but I specifically chose fairy tales that were very well known. Right. Okay. So the least well known story I have is Bluebeard, mm. um, which interestingly enough is by a man called Charles Perrault, who was <laughs> one of one of the salonniers, the male salonniers. He sort of superseded all of the ladies. Yeah, we've got our claws out for him. Right. Anyway. Could we, um, could we, I don't suppose at this moment, mm-hmm. Elion, we could meet some of the characters from your show? Uh, we certainly not. <laughs> okay, uh, tell, first of all, tell me, tell me who you are. So I can interview of, you in character you, if you mm-hmm. like. Of course. Um, 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 so, of course, uh, Madame Dolnois. Welcome, Madame. Oh, thank you. It's very nice to have you on Late it's, Night Live. Oh, it's wonderful to be here <laughs> in this so sort which, of little salon. So have you arrived from 1696, roughly? Uh, are we? Okay. Um, and what did you do in the salonier? Oui. Was it a very deliberate task that you would mm. come together and say, right, this is our storytelling, story-sharing time? Or was it, you know, were you playing a bit of backgammon on the side? No, no. it was very much verbal speak, games. Verbal games, yeah. yeah. Talk, uh, yeah little yeah. games about fairies and fairy tales. And we would, we would, um, it was little like plays. Little plays, and we mm. would best each other. So mm. it has a, a better story each time, <laughs> try and make each other be, tell better stories. And uh, I should introduce this is Joe, madame. I have always wished to be part of a salon. <laughs> well, you are tonight. Welcome. You are tonight. Um, and who else? I mean, you mentioned some of the other left behind characters like. Yes. I will, um, I'm just bringing um, Olga. She is the ugly sister. Oh, so called ugly okay. sister. Not at all ugly yeah. from what I'm seeing. But no, no. Okay. The, the, I am <laughs> Olga. And people are saying I am ugly, big footsteps sister to Cinderella, but actually I am sister to Svetlana. Yeah, and she is, and Cinderella is our stepsister, you see. So there are two sides to every story. Okay. So uh, I am, uh, I uh, I, I believe that Cinderella um, last year has uh, decided to, she went off with Prince Tarmink, as you all know. He found a little shoe. But she has decided to consciously uncouple from the royal family, actually. Wow. And uh, I find this quite ironic. (laughs) It's the postscript that was never written down, wasn't it? (laughs) Um, Joe, tell me, do you have, I know this is a toughie, but um, work through it with me. Do you have a favourite or favourite fairy tales? I have many favourite fairy tales. What's the one you want to tell us about now? I will tell you about uh, the 12 Dancing Princesses. Oh, I, I think I know this one. This is one of my favourites. Oh, good, because Go it's so little known. And I, my big regret is that Tchaikovsky didn't turn it into a ballet because then everyone would know how magnificent it is. So there are these women who are so strong, so powerful, that their father has locked them up right? Twelve princesses sober, locked up every night. And yet in the morning, their slippers are all worn to pieces. How can this be? Well, their father, the king, who is, you know, a bastion of the patriarchy, as you've probably already gathered, um, puts out a message to get any man who can find out the secret of these worn out slippers. And one by one, they come, they fail, they get executed until an old soldier comes along and he pretends to take the drink they've offered, but is secretly hiding underneath a blanket, an invisibility cloak, Mm. if you 
you will, and watches as those 12 princesses dive down, open up a bed and go down into the underworld, a world that is dark and mysterious, full of trees, silver and gold, and they float across the lake to a palace filled with music where they dance with the ghosts of those dead princes. And he follows them back and he comes there and returns with them and then he dobs them in. Oh, thank you. Yeah, yeah. so the way the story finishes up officially Mm. is women find a way to escape and, and, you know, women are suppressed, they find a way to escape. Women are suppressed and that's the end, yay, the patriarchy. No, (laughs) no, I say to you. When's the sequel coming out? When is the sequel coming out? We need a third act and that's why you need a fairy tale society. But that was a, that's the Grimm brothers, isn't it? No, that's, that's Perot. That's Perot. Oh, that's Perot. Naturally. Naturally. Yeah. Oh my gosh, there are strong feelings, listeners. Now, if you're getting the sense that there are strong feelings about some of these fairy tales, you are right. Um, you also quite like, Joe. I know um, you've spoken in the past about an African tale called The Magic Mirror. And I get, it is important, isn't it, to note that a lot of these tales certainly were handed down and derived from many other cultures, Chinese, Indian, yeah. African Yes, well, when you say Chinese, the oldest Cinderella in the world is Ye Shen, which mm. is a Chinese story, hence the idea that a small foot is a sign of beauty. Um, and the ancestor worship, you know, that gets recycled as the fairy godmother. But what's happening is fairy tales, as originated by our salonniers, are a European construct. And then they get disseminated along those paths of colonisation. But then they meet the Indigenous culture or the immigrant culture, and they get transformed. And what step are we on in that path so in a, Australia? It's an orga- organic development. Yeah, right. yes. I, I mean, I've, I have a question for you about mermaids I, because I'm finding this controversy over the little mermaid very interesting. Are you aware of this, that there has been... Uh, Disney has brought out a new version mm. of the little mermaid. They've cast a black actor... In the role of the mermaid, uh, there has been some conservative pushback against the idea that there, <laughs> a mermaid, that a mermaid could be black. I mean, I would have thought that whether or not mermaids exist might might be <laughs> more of an issue. But I think on um, certainly on social media, it's led to um, lots of viral videos, and I hate that word, but very popular shared videos of black mums, so African American, Afro Caribbean mums filming their daughters at the moment when they realise that the mermaid looks like them. Yes. And it's this astonishing yes. kind of moment of awakening. Yeah. Uh, going back to that idea of this is an organic unfolding of shared stories, I'm yeah. guessing you aren't troubled by the oh, idea that love a mermaid could be black. <laughs> no, I love it. I mean, there's, you know that uh, in the top end of Australia there are York Yorks that are spirits, water spirits too. And I doubt very much that they look, you know, too bland. They're not pale and stale up there either. So you've got water spirits throughout the world. And if they're water spirits, then shouldn't they look like the water? And if they're in the water, aren't they the reflections of us, of our deepest beings? And therefore, wherever we look out, we see ourselves. And that's what art should do. Art should always be a reflective surface of who we are. And this is why the flat characters of fairy tales work so brilliantly as an art form because they are so flat that you always see yourself and that's where the magic lies.
I mean, it's interesting if you think about Santa Claus, I guess, for example, you know, you go to different countries and they celebrate similar traditions, but I, I lived in the Netherlands for a while and, and the mm. the traditions around what St. Pete looks like. And, and I mean, yeah. it's extraordinary. Mm. It's completely different to oh, what's yeah. happening across the water in England, for example. But see, uh, I've, I've heard in America that uh, Santa Claus looks like the family at the bottom of the chimney. So if Santa Claus comes down the chimney of an African-American family, he indeed will be African-American. And if he comes down a Hispanic family, that's what he'll look like and so whenever you see the magic and the generosity that's yourself that you're seeing reflected back. So here we are unpicking the identity politics of fairy tales <laughs> on Late Light Life. Thank you so much for joining us Joe Henwood and Ellie Ann Morell. Hopefully that inspires you to perhaps establish your own fairy tale ring or find one close by. Enjoy the conference and thanks so much for your time. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Eliane Morell and Joe Henwood, along with Alyssa Curtain, are creating a web series on the origins of fairy tales. Uh, they're talking about it at the Australian Fairy Tale Society Conference in Brisbane on the 1st and 2nd of October. And Eliane's live show, which seems to be a hit with audiences wherever she's done it, it's clocked up a few awards already. It's called Disenchanted, a cabaret of twisted fairy tales, and it's on this week at the Sydney Fringe Festival and heading to Brisbane. G'day potties. If you like to learn from history's mistakes as much as we do here at Hadley uh, Nell, or you want the whole backstory on the big issues in the news, check out Rear Vision on the ABC Listen app or wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs> 